Hello, my name is Ashley Watts and you're listening to the podcast Close to Home. I'm the Executive Director of York County All on Board and today we're talking with Frank Henson, a clinical counselor for Keystone. Welcome Frank. Yeah, thank you Ashley. Thank you for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do at Keystone? Uh, yes, I'm a counselor in the detox unit. Um, we serve um, a wide variety or obviously a, a big population of alcohol, opiates, um, benzo um, detox. Our patients are usually there from about seven to ten days uh, on an average. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, some of the anxiety that people are experiencing around COVID-19, how that might be affecting um, people who are either um, maybe socially used to be social drinkers or users and now maybe with the anxiety of COVID-19 or the change in the climate or maybe they're a person in recovery um, and how that might have changed the community has changed how their support systems might change so I thought you'd be a good person to talk to to kind of ask um, what are some techniques that people can use um, maybe even people who don't have substance use issues but have noticed maybe their substance use has increased a little so maybe their anxiety is more, they're drinking a little more, they may be um, tempted to use other substances. What are some techniques they can use um, when they're dealing with a lot of anxiety to help prevent increasing their substance use? Yeah, I think we're all kind of at a loss. We're all in a new place. And one of the biggest impacts that we have is when it comes to change. Um, change is hard for pretty much everybody. So we're all kind of in this new place where we're we're finding ourselves um, at home where some of us have become teachers when we didn't need to, we weren't planning to be teachers. We're, we're worried about our jobs, um, just kind of in a whole state of things. And so um, one of the biggest things we find ourselves very alone. Um, we're used to being connected. Um, we're used to talking to other people on a, on a daily basis. Um, and so our anxiety spikes. And so um, one of the biggest things is that I know we're trying to really um, do at Keystone is to try to get people connected. Um, we are in a wonderful age of technology, um, so it, it, and we know it's not the same as face-to-face, -face, but just getting connected with others, that we're talking to one another, that we, um, whether it be through video or, or on the phone, that we're having resources so that we can share what's going on. Um, there's a, a an important element when we are communicating with people, especially people that know us, that know what's going on with us deeply, uh, that they hear. They can hear the anxiety in us. They can ask us about it. Um, there's something powerful when someone genuinely cares and says, hey, what's going on? Um, how do you feel? And just to have an outlet to be able to share, you know, I'm, I am worried about these things. Um, and I think especially and it's not just addiction, but when we start to feel alone, um, that's, that's a scary place to be. Um, when I don't have that, uh, I don't know, I believe that especially as humans, we are wired to be connected with one another. Um, and all of a sudden when we don't feel that, when we're out of structure, um, that loneliness can really set in. And I think that's closely tied with anxiety because it just, um, we don't know what to do. Especially when you're talking about people who are turned to substances in times when they're an they're anxious. Mm -hmm. What are some things, warning signs, kind of to see, hey, maybe I need to reach out for some help. Um, this is kind of exceeding what um, I normally use. When, when are some times when it would be, a person might want to look at their use and say, hey, I, I, 
instead of like saying, well, I'm anxious, it, it makes sense. But when, when would be a time when somebody might want to seek some help, might have a warning sign about how much they're using? Right now, a lot of us are, we're out of, we're out of our normal everyday structure. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's amazing that when we are in a normal everyday routine, how um, we just kind of flow. Um, and so with substance use, oftentimes that comes in too. I talk with a lot of people and everyday substance use, you know, um, it may not have been there. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves at home and we have a lot more time. We're out of structure, we're out of um, our normal routines. And so some warning signs to look for is, is an increase, you know, um, maybe I was, you know, two or three days a week, I was drinking on the weekend, I, I hang out with friends and that's usually where I might drink. Um, and so suddenly I find myself drinking in isolation. I, I am alone. Um, you know, that's a huge change. Addiction in itself is progressive and it generally moves into isolation. So when we see ourselves drinking alone, that might be identifier. If our frequency throughout the day, maybe I had a drink at night or two drinks at night or something and now I've moved that up and you know, a drink at lunchtime or, uh, or I'm using uh, more throughout the day um, may be a huge indicator. Um, one I, I work with a lot that oftentimes I've had even multiple times this week, people saying, you know, all of a sudden, and I've already had people come through detox that have already been impacted by uh, the COVID-19 was I recognized I was waking up in the morning and my first thought was drinking or using. That is a huge sign that need to reach out for help and there's no shame if we can recognize that people like Keystone and other agencies we want to be there because we understand that that when times like this and anxiety we re we're reaching for coping skills that that right now we're we're just out of touch with we're all in a very new situation you know we maybe we've we've used alcohol or, or substances in the past you know what and, and the weekends they, they've kind of lowered our anxiety we look forward to the weekend and and then all of a sudden now we're like, wait a minute. And so I get anxious, I, I, I drink or I use, my anxiety lowers. And all of a sudden we see that we are just drawn to use that more and more because we just don't have the, the connections that we used to have. You made a good point about, um, you know, alcohol is a depressant. So when someone first starts to use, they might see a decrease in that anxiety mm -hmm. at first. But what's, you know, what can happen sometimes? You use that alcohol for anxiety, but what happens as the alcohol leaves your system, as you begin using more, is... It's, a, it's heightened anxiety. Yeah. And it's with all substances. Whatever substance, whatever that substance is doing for you to feel better, um, whether, I mean, opiates, it's, you know, pain, anxiety, a lot of these things. When that substance, or benzos, when that substance leaves your system, you're a, you know, the opposite effect happens. Um, and so it may minimize anxiety on the front end, but it heightens it on, on the back end. And the more we use, the more effect we have, the greater the withdrawals. And we might rationalize, hey, it's okay that I'm drinking more. I'm not driving. You know, yep. I'm not, I'm not going out, but at the same time, there's some other problems that besides, I mean, obviously we don't want people to drink and drive, so we're glad that's not happening, but there's other issues that can occur. And one of those has to do with um, having that rebound effect and that kind of learned behavior. So I drink, my anxiety decreases, but then it returns even farther, which might encourage me to, oh, well, I'll just try that again. And yeah, you can kind of get, get in a pattern. Yeah. We get in that dangerous cycle. And mm -hmm. so, and what happens is, is that, that circle gets tighter and tighter and our frequency goes up our how how often we're doing it, how much we're doing it 
Um, and so we get into a very dangerous pattern. And sometimes we all, all of a sudden we look like, how did I get here? It wasn't intentional. It just, that's kind of the, the nature of addiction. And I've noticed um, alcohol sales are up. Um, so it's obviously not just one person is experiencing this. It's kind of widespread. Um, mm -hmm. People are looking for answers and solutions to the anxiety they're feeling. And that might be one way that they're doing that. Um, mindfulness techniques, is that something you guys teach mm -hmm. or deep breathing? How is that helpful? Um, I mean, we talk a lot about mindfulness and the basics behind it is, is just really bringing ourselves present to the here and now. Um, just um, being aware of what's going on, but taking some deep breaths. I, you know, I always kind of look at it as interesting as anxiety goes up, our heart rate goes up, you know, we're, we're uh, our oxygen levels go down. It's, it's kind of fascinating how it works. And so when we start to panic, you know, we, we tend to go to that. And so just taking some deep breaths can just naturally calm the body down. You know, we kind of do, you know, there's several methods, but just a triangle effect, you know, of deep breath in, hold it, release it naturally calms us down just be very aware of you know listen to the sounds listening to what's going on one technique i really like is just even maybe going to the faucet and having running water running over your hands how does it feel when it's touching your skin you know um, the warmth of it or the cold of it and just it's just amazing how it just brings us back to right now because the more we start thinking about past or future and worry the more anxious that we feel. And so the idea is to just come back to right now, just be very, just be okay. And part of it is just, I talk a lot with patients of just being, all right, just being mindful that right now I'm okay. And I am breathing, that I'm not in any kind of danger. It's very, it's a very useful tool for all of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely all of us. Being in the here and now, I actually heard another counselor talking about with the deep breathing that you're talking about singing. Yeah. You're you know, you're putting more air out and hey, you're in isolation, so nobody maybe nobody will hear you. <laughs> in my case, that would be a good thing. But yeah. um yeah, singing or just things like that. I love the idea of running the running water, especially the C D C would like that with all the hand yes, washing drainers. But so making yourself just focus on what's happening right now mm -hmm. because a lot of our anxiety is tied to the future. What's gonna happen in I mean, some of us are already mm -hmm. thinking about what's gonna happen in the summer, what's gonna happen in the fall instead of focusing on right now. Yeah, we get, and we can very much get caught up in hypotheticals and we start playing out all these scenarios and these what ifs. Um, and for, and oftentimes it can become very dangerous because it, it ties too closely into, I think with the addiction, what a lot of what we talk about is what can we control and what can we not control? And we become very anxious and stressed about things that are just not in our power. So taking it back to substance use for a second, um, one of the things in, in counseling, you know, people were not open to treatment. We would recommend community support for mm -hmm. people. There's meetings everywhere. They're free. Um, not everyone finds recovery that way, but a lot of people find support. And there's something about sitting in a room with people who are experiencing similar symptoms that helps kind of with that support. And right now we're at a place where people are not able because of social distancing to meet together. Can you tell us what's going on in the recovery community to kind of help with that situation and bring people together for support? Yeah, um, we're all adapting really quickly. We're, we're trying, um, and like I said, we, we're, we're, we're blessed uh, to be in this technolo technological age uh, where we have a lot of resources at our, our, at, our, at our fingertips, whether it be phone, computer, whatever. And so a lot of 
um, local community support groups um, from all 12 steps, smart recovery, churches are, are adapting as well, and, and there's a lot of recovery resources there, have gone to Zoom-like meetings to where they're, they're video. It is interesting. It, it's, it's different when we're not sitting face-to-face, -face, but it does, does connect us. We are seeing, because part of that connection is sitting in front of somebody, seeing the body language. Body language is a huge part of communication. And so seeing responses, seeing how they're expressing, and people are finding it's very helpful. But it's meetingsintherooms.com. Um, you can look through their schedule, and there are meetings throughout each and every day that you click on, and it plugs you right into, which is extremely helpful. And even if we can't connect, maybe you don't have the resource to connect via video, uh, just being on the phone and hearing the conversation and being able to share where we're at. A lot of people I'm talking with, they are finding this very helpful. And then there are those that maybe they're naturally introverted and they're coming, you know, they're, they're having a hard time. I've had a lot of great responses of people like, this is awesome. I mean, I am... I'm loving this. And this is not going to last forever. And it can be a great bridging gap for that when we start meeting one-on-one -on -one, that we have already started to make some connection. We feel comfortable to be able to walk in the rooms. And I know some people. I recognize them. Um, I already have interaction there and some communication. And what are you guys doing at Keystone to adapt to? Are people able to come in? How are y'all addressing services there? Uh, I think that has a lot of fear because I think we we hear in the media everything's closed, everything's on lockdown and shut down. But we are known as an essential service. We are a healthcare provider, and so we do want people to know that we are open. We are um, taking people in, and what that's looking like is is we are using what's called telehealth, or you can call in. We will set you up with an assessment with a counselor. It is face to face in the eyes in, in the idea of video. If you don't have video, that is fine. They are doing it over the phone. And what we're doing is we're we're still providing services. It's a little bit different now, but we want to get people connected. And so if you do your assessment and you you know, and from that point we kind of get an idea of what level of care, we will link you up with a group. We'll meet that need. Whatever reason you need detox, we are still taking people in. That is an essential service um, and it is really important and we want people to know that, that you can come in, you can still do a detox. We have changed things. Um, we are practicing social distancing. I want people to know that it's safe. Constantly wiping down, constantly making sure everything is st sterilized. I am still meeting with patients and walking through with them through this moment. It is very important. And then we're plugging people in with the level of care that they need. Uh, so please, um, if you know someone, let them know that we are still open, we are still going. And right now we're adapting, but care is still available. And the idea is, is that addiction is isolating. We Part of recovery is breaking that isolation, is getting people connected so that we can talk about it, so that we can learn some healthy ways to just manage our daily life without feeling that we have to use drugs. You can call the front desk at Keystone, open Monday through Friday, 8 to to four or in, if it's in the middle of the night and you just are curious and you want to call you can always call that down in our inpatient there's somebody that mans that desk all the time we always encourage hey call talk to somebody they'll even do a little screening with you and to see if you need an inpatient but there's also aa or na and a lot of these resources have local helplines that you can call and you can talk to somebody and 
they can help immediately and help you kind of have an idea. Do I need to take a, another step? And the idea is getting connected. They're wonderful resources just to help guide us in the right direction. And that number for outpatient and inpatient, do you mind sharing that with Yeah, you? the um, outpatient number is 803-324-1800. Um, inpatient number is 803-324-0404. And our techs are awesome. That They have a heart for walking people through this. And do you also have a residential program for women as well that's open? We sure do. Um, that is still going strong. We have a six bed facility. Sometimes we just need a little extra care, a little time to I kind of say respite. We are learning just how to focus on ourselves and take good care of ourselves. And that way when we enter back out into society, we have what we need to really engage our families because uh, a lot of that stuff can oftentimes just be very overwhelming. And so we feel like right now it's very important. Very glad that you guys are still doing that and offering that opportunity for people, especially right now when things are so critical and we have a lot of concerns about that. Make a shift to talking about opioids. Um, so would you be able to tell us a little bit about what an opioid is and how it, why a person might take an opioid? Opiates have been around for a long time. Um, and I think recently we are over the last couple of decades, we have seen a great increase. Largely, they're usually prescribed for any kind of major pain, whether it's coming out of surgery, or different ailments, chronic pain that may be much more than that ibuprofen or Tylenol may, may touch. Um, they're designed to really connect uh, the receptors in the brainstem. And, and so they affect a huge part of the body, but they're a little bit different where they're the way they're designed is that, and they connect within the body is that they're long lasting. And so one of the things that we see is that they're oftentimes, they're different in that they become physically dependent. And one of the things that we see is that you can become physically dependent within a five to seven day stretch of using them. And oftentimes when they're prescribed, they're usually prescribed after a surgery or something major and to where that recovery time may be, you know, week, two weeks. And so suddenly, you know, I have kind of experienced something that I've never really experienced before. The, the medicine was necessary because the pain was great. And suddenly I'm feeling things that I'm feeling a little sick or I'm feeling a little nauseous. I'm realizing that this is it's had an effect that I wasn't aware of. So if I'm given an opioid by a doctor prescription, mm -hmm. I should take it as prescribed. Exactly. But also maybe have a very frank conversation with my doctor about the effects of that. What's the danger in hanging on to a prescription that I don't need for that particular surgery? I mean, the dangers are is it's there, it's easily accessible. I may be tempted at any time. I'm feeling a little bit greater pain. I don't feel like a headache and it's not feel like it's touching. Oh, I got this I might could take it and not see any kind of harm in it not really understand the effects that what I'm really getting into one of the things is that we say this if we're not if if, if you don't have to fill it don't fill it but there are times where we do need to and so we do need to have a very frank conversation with our doctor of what that's for so I have a family member right now that is that is experiencing some extreme pain she's undergoing radiation from from cancer um, you know, and I think for her, you know, it was very different. She's heard all this. It's, it's very, uh, it was very scary, however, but also it was very necessary. And so just the number one thing is being aware, having educated conversations so that we understand working with the doctor to, Hey, I can, I, I take this, but also let's have a time limit. 
when do I need to be coming off? Um, not constantly, you know, trying to refill it. If I feel like I'm trying to refill it and I'm starting to put effort into it, that might be a sign. But working with having an end date, when can I come off of this? Working to the next, maybe something that's non-narcotic, that doesn't work the same way. Working towards something like Tylenol, ibuprofen to manage the pain, if we can do that. And, and now there's so many natural things that, that we can start to utilize that can just, it's just especially with opiates, like I said, if, it, if it's managing pain, when I'm coming off of it, oftentimes I talk with people that they, they experience an increase in the pain when I'm coming off of it. And that's, that's exactly part of that withdrawals is my, my body and my mind is saying I'm having an increase in pain and therefore I need it even more. Um, and, and until we really start to work our way off of it, do we even know where our pain levels are? So work with our, our doctors, work with um, um, uh, others that are around us. And there's a, there are a ton of great articles out there. You start to do a little research. I love Google Scholar working uh, finding articles and and doing some of our own research to to be educated about this and if i don't know ask ask someone one of the things through all on board we have several committees that talk about opioids one is yc hope mm -hmm. where we talk about opioid and heroin and um, how to decrease in our in york county how to decrease the incidences of overdose that's what i want to talk to you about next i know that you um, have had a lot to do with um, naloxone or Narcan. So mm -hmm. explain to us a little bit about the risk for opioid overdose and what Narcan can do to help. Yes. Um, so um, we, I think we see it a lot and we hear about this, the epidemic and the overdose. Um, and Narcan is, it's, it is the unnamed brand for naloxone. Naloxone is the active ingredient. And one of the things about opiates is that um, it doesn't take much. And oftentimes, especially now, is that people start changing administration. Um, tolerance begins to increase. And so we begin to take more and more and more for the same effect. And oftentimes what happens is people just really do not know how much they take. They, if they've changed administration. And one of the greatest dangers we've seen now is that we're seeing this, this huge influx of fentanyl enter, enter our society. People are buying things off the street and we often say, we, we, we just don't know what we're getting. You think you're getting one thing, but you really can be getting uh, another. Um, one of the popular trends right now is, is dealers making their own pills. So you have these pill presses. Fentanyl is making its way into things like Xanax, which is a benzo, or cocaine, which is a stimulant. It's, it's making its way into a lot of things that wouldn't normally be there. Um, and so it doesn't, what we're seeing is, especially with this, is fentanyl is very strong. I think it's 50 times more powerful than morphine. Um, and it doesn't take much. Um, and so one of the aspects we see is that we don't know the quality or the quantity of what we're using. And all of a sudden we use it and the body just cannot handle it. And it begins to shut down. Opiates, the way they work is they start to shut down the body. Organs start to shut down. And so it starts to deprive the, the body of oxygen. Breathing becomes very slow. What we want to do is we want to train people. We want people to understand what to look for. If you were to come up on somebody and you were and they unconscious or they don't appear that they're breathing. Their, pre, their breathing may be very slow. What can we do? We want to get people out there, not just people who 
use, but people who may be active in the community and or everybody at this point, because we live in a society that you could just walk up on it. That is number one. Naloxone, uh, it's designed to where it's a blocker. The way opiates work is they bind very tightly to the receptors in the brain. It, they are long lasting. The naloxone is designed to where it knocks the opiates on and they bind tighter than the actual opiate. The naloxone enters the system. There's multiple ways. The Narcan um, right now is the one that we use. Um, it goes into the nostril. It goes through the, uh, the membranes of the nostril. It's very fast acting. It should bring someone back within three to five minutes. It knocks the opiate off. It sends them straight into withdrawals. It's not oftentimes pleasant, but it's life-saving. But one of the things that we really want people to understand is that the naloxone does not last as long as the opiate. It is really, really important that you're calling 911, that that person is getting to the hospital because when the naloxone starts to lift, the opiate can rebind. And they, so they are still in danger of, uh, of an overdose. The other is that tolerance. Whenever there's a break in use, if I'm, I'm not able to get it as much or I've gone through a couple of days, tolerance goes down. And oftentimes I, I talk with people and they're like, I understand the logic. These are people in active addiction. I know, but when, I, when I'm having a craving and I start to use, I go to use how much I'm used to using. It's an extremely dangerous situation because if I use that. And even what I'm used to using if I'm buying from a dealer or I'm not getting something that's prescribed, could be from a pill press, could have fentanyl in it. So even what I expect is my normal dose, so to speak, right. could cause me to overdose because it's not what I, we don't know the purity, we don't know where it's from, we don't know what's really in it. And so like you said, if I'm craving and I'm really wanting to use, I'm likely to reach out to something that is not prescribed or that I don't know what's in it, which could cause that too. And mm -hmm. I have one question that I think a lot of people have asked, or I've had a lot of people ask me. What if I'm assuming that that person has overdosed and I administer Narcan, could I hurt them if they have not had an opioid? Uh, no, and that's the wonderful thing about Narcan. It is not gonna hurt them. It is designed to where it, let's say if you think it's meth or something like that, it's not going to do anything for them, but it's not gonna hurt them either. If, if, they are, if they're pregnant, it's safe. We would rather do it. Mm -hmm. To be safe. To be safe than not to. So how expensive is Narcan and where, especially with people being isolated and at home and not coming into your center every day, how can people get Narcan in their homes? Just okay. in their car, wherever. It sounds like you think we should all have Narcan. I think that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. I know police officers do, first responders. So maybe I'm a family member of someone who has um, maybe been prescribed an opiate. How can I get Narcan to make sure that I am protected in a, in a situation like that? Or I'm being considerate of people around me, the people that I love. So I know our state and, and a lot of states across the nation have made huge headway to make sure that we can get uh, Narcan into hands of people that need it. Still, there's numerous ways that you can go. If you, if you have insurance, you can go to your local pharmacy and you can ask them for it. It's, it's not over the counter you can get it through there. I know Medicaid still covers it. But we've also moved into what's called community distribution. We wanna make sure Narcan can get into the hands of anybody that needs it. We keep Narcan, for example, at Keystone. All the local agencies across South Carolina have moved to, have gone into community distribution where you can come in or you can call us and say, hey, 
Can I get Narcan? You come in, no questions asked. If you're a caregiver, if you're an active um, using, it does not matter. Come in, please, and we will make sure that it's in your hands. There's no names, there's no charge. Perfect. Come in, I need Narcan. Um, we will give you a little pamphlet to make sure that you know how to use it and we will give you the Narcan and you can be on your way. The biggest thing is we just want people to know how to use it. It's very simple. It is, there's two doses in each box. You put, put one in one nostril, you use it. They should come to in three to five minutes. If they don't, you take the other one, you put it in the other nostril, squeeze it all the way through and they should come to. Most importantly, call 911. They're simple. Um, in the brochure that it just shows you how to do some rescue breathing. It's not CPR, but we just want some extra breaths. It's about oxygen getting to the body, getting to the brain. Once the brain shuts down, we know that death is intimate. If we can keep oxygen going, that's the most important thing. Turn them on over, the, putting them on over their side. If they were to get sick when they come to, ensure that they don't choke on as much as we want to address the opioid addiction or people who um, have substance use disorders around opioids, and we do want to do that, um, we also want to recognize that we want to give people another chance. We want to save their life and, um, and get that Narcan administered. Mm -hmm. And the fact that a lot of people don't know how to get it is one reason I wanted to have you on today. Our podcast is to tell people it's free, it's readily available, right. no questions asked, no judgment, no stigma. Have we this. want people um, It is a resource and it gives a person another chance at recovery, another mm -hmm. chance they're able to get the help that they need and be educated about how to use it. I think your doctor is an excellent person to go to, to talk to before you have surgery, before you prescribe the medication to really talk about that. Get some family members involved, some support people. I know with COVID-19, a little bit more of a barrier because people aren't coming in every day and having as easy access, but I love the fact that Keystone is making it readily available. And if you're from out of York County, any substance abuse agency right. or pharmacy, you can go in and ask them for that. 